after Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Well, good morning, Trinity Central. It is uh, just a massive honor to once again be with you. I loved a couple weeks ago being a part of that service and and setting in uh, Ben as an elder. I was so encouraged uh, by what I saw. I love growing in our friendship. I love growing in our partnership. And uh, this is just an honor. And today I want to talk to you about uh, the greatness uh, of Jesus. And to set it up, let me tell you uh, a little uh, picture into my world. My Sunday routine is pretty arduous. Like, you know, I, I speak about three or four times um, and it's, so it's a long Sunday, and I'm a bit of an introvert, so when I get home, like, I need the couch. I need the couch in some sporting event, preferably American football or golf. Um, I, I'd watch hockey, but it's not on then, but, you know, golf, you know, I'm not picky. Um, now, my family understands that this is a necessary step to both my emotional and physical recovery, and you might be thinking, that's a little high maintenance, and that's probably true, but... This is my routine. So anyway, so I, I come home, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, and, and my daughter's on the couch, and she's watching something, and she wanted to watch something. I said, hey, it's my turn. You know, it's time to watch TV. But what's happened recently in our family, anyway, is that we got a new couch, and we got a new TV. And so, like, that's the place to be. And so in her protest, this is what she said to me. She's like, Dad, you are always watching sports. Now, I thought that. I was like, oh, my gosh, is that true? Like, is this... Is this what I'm known for? Is this my reputation? Is this what my daughter knows me for? Is that I am always watching sports? I mean, that's kind of a fascinating and a haunting question. I mean, what, what are you always doing? I mean, what would other people say that you are always doing? Are you always working? Are you always playing? Are you always on your phone? Are you always on social media? Are you always encouraging? Are you always complaining? What are you always doing? Well, here's the greatness of Jesus. This is what it was said of Jesus in Acts 10, 37 to 38. Throughout all Judea, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, went about doing good. This is what Jesus was known for. Jesus was known for someone who was doing good. Hey, what, what do we remember about Jesus? Well, he was always doing good. I love how Paul puts it in um, Philippians 2 when he says, though he, Jesus, though in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Now, I just want you to think about that for a second. Most of us daydream about getting into the university we want, so that we could have the job that we want, so that we could have the income that we want, so that we could have the life that we want. We live so that we could be filled. Jesus lived so that he could be emptied. Uh, We start at the bottom and we hope we get to the top. Jesus started at the top and his goal was to get to the bottom. And, And this is an obvious statement, but this is not how most people think. Not now, not ever. In fact, a uh, little history lesson here, this, this idea, like God is love. Like if you were just to, I mean, this is true in America anyway, if you were to uh, see kind of the casual person, uh, maybe someone who didn't even believe in God, they may say something like this. I don't really believe in God, but if there is a God, 
he is a God of love. Or uh, uh, God loves everyone. If there is a God, he, he, he's someone who loves everyone. If there is a God, everybody matters to God. So that is generally what people think. But I want you to know that that is a uniquely Christian idea. Jesus introduced this idea to the world because this is not how people empower acted. People in power did not go about doing good. People in power did not go around loving everybody. People in power did not go around making everyone feel like they mattered. The Greek and Roman gods did not love anyone. The Greek and Roman gods got, didn't go and do stuff for people, but they went and got stuff, had people go and do stuff for them to serve them. God, the gods did not care for people, and they didn't require people to care. And for most cultures, this is the ideal, you know, in your caste system, in your career, whatever. The ideal is to get people to do your bidding. That is everyone's ideal. Today, uh, in the West, we live in a service-based economy where the goal is to get people to serve you, to mow your yard, uh, to make your food, to clean your house. The daydream, you know, is you on the beach somewhere with other people serving you. The daydream is not you serving other people. But this is how Jesus lived. He brought in this new definition, this new paradigm of living, this upside down world where, you know, if you're last, you're first. If you're first, you're last. Last to live is to, to die, and to, to die is to live, and, and to serve is to be great. And so I want to talk to you out of, out of Mark 10 about greatness, about true greatness, about what true greatness is, and is found in loving and serving other people. So in uh, Mark 10, 35, it says, And James and John, sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever it is that we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? That's amazing. And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. Okay, so deep inside every human being is this desire to be great, right? And you got to hand it to James and John. They're going to get some things wrong here. But one of the things that they got right is they knew that Jesus was going to be in glory, that he, that, you know, he was this Jewish carpenter and he, he was kind of lived in obscurity, but they could see greatness in him. It's like, you know, if we could go back to the middle 2000s and, and buy Netflix stock and have the perception to know that that thing's going to take off. They knew, they knew that Jesus was going to take off and they wanted to attach themselves to him. So they knew that he was going to be great, but what they didn't understand is how he was going to be great. But Jesus said to him, do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? I'll explain that here in a minute. And they said to him, we are able. They didn't know what they're talking about. They're like, yeah, we want in, we want in, we want glory, we want, we want to be great. And Jesus said to him, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left is not, me, is not for me to grant. James and John, again, James and John recognized that Jesus was going to be great, but they did not understand why or how he would be great because they saw greatness through the lens to which the world sees greatness. Greatness is measured in how high you and I ascend. That's how we measure greatness. Uh, uh, how high we ascend in our education, uh, in our careers, in our relationships, in our influences. 
I mean, you know, when you, rec- when you recognize people or when you introduce people, you know, we, we mentioned their degrees, we mentioned, you know, how, you know, they're, they're the highest level of their title. I mean, just that's how we pursue greatness. When we want to present someone as great, we, we, we point to how high they've ascended in a particular field. I mean, this is true in America, it may be true in Canada as well, but uh, the average teen, uh, Barna did a study and they asked the average teen, teenager, what do you want to be when you grow up? The average teenager, the number one answer, 54% of teenagers said they wanted to be a celebrity. They wanted to be great. James and John, they're probably teenagers too, and that's what they wanted. I want to be at your right. I want to be at your left. I want to be a celebrity. I want to be great. Jesus is like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I've got a cup and I've got a baptism. What is the cup? What is the baptism? Well, the cup... Uh, the cup referred to judgment. You might remember Socrates, if you remember history, uh, that he died. He was sentenced to death by being forced to drink a cup of poison. And in the ancient world, the cup was, was linked to suffering and death. And even in the Old Testament, I mean, you can read about this in places like Jeremiah 25, for example. It says that you know, you, they will drink the cup of God's wrath and they will stagger. And in the garden, we see that Jesus is, is given this cup. It was foreshadowing the cross. And he says, if it be your will, Father, may this cup be removed from me. What was he talking about? He was talking about a cup of judgment and suffering. Oh, what's the baptism? I mean, wasn't Jesus already baptized? I mean, what do you mean he's going to be baptized again? Well, in Luke 12, 50, it says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. Same thing. What does it mean to be baptized? That word uh, baptism simply means to be immersed. He's saying, I am going to be immersed in suffering. I am going to be immersed in pain and blood. He's like, do you want the cup that I drink and do you want the baptism that I'm going to be baptized in? You will be, and that is the pathway to glory. That is the pathway uh, to greatness. If you want to be great, drink my cup, be baptized with my baptism. The 10 heard it, not really tracking what Jesus was saying, but they became to be indignant because they're like, oh my gosh, they're getting to be first and second. What about us? So Jesus calls them together and says, hey, I want to be clear with you. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers are Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So I, told, I said earlier, like all cultures of all times, this is the idea that a God or someone in a position of, of power, omnipotent power, mind you, would be one who loves and serves and makes people feel like they matter is a concept that we only get in Christianity. So he says, look, this is how the world is. This is how everyone else sees power, sees greatness. Now, if you're a Christian, pay attention to verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you should be your servant. Whoever be first among you must be slave of all. You want to be first? Just be a slave to everyone. Be the servant that gives up his life. Drink the cup. Be baptized in pain and suffering. And then verse 45 says, for or because 
even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying that the path to greatness is the path to Calvary. The path to greatness is not a path where you promote yourself. It's a path where you deny yourself and you serve. That is why Jesus said early on in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 14, narrow is the gate that leads to life. It, why is it narrow? Because it is not, it's narrow because it's like no other path that we see in our culture. It's a path of suffering. It's a path of not promoting yourself. It's a path of denying yourself. And then when we see Jesus go to cross, we're going to see how narrow that path is because there would just be him. I mean, when you see this, it's kind of like, man, how in the world does this ever happen? I mean, this just seems impossible. Well, Jesus is going to tell us how we can live this way. I mean, at first glance, what this seems to say, I mean, this is how I read it as a plain reading. Hey, I did it. Why can't you? You know, I'm, you know, don't, don't be like them. Be like me. Let me follow my example. Serve. Give your life away. But then you ponder for a minute, for a minute and you begin to wait a minute. What was he actually saying? He's not just saying, here's my example to follow. He's saying, he's not just saying serve the way I serve, although he is saying that. This is the son of man serving me ransoming my sin, my death, refusing actually to be served by me. In other words, what he's saying in this passage is in this relationship that you and I have, you will not serve me, I will serve you. This is not just another teacher teaching us how to live. This is God in the flesh telling his disciples that he has come to serve the world. He has not come to get servants. He has come to be a servant. This is absolutely unheard of. I mean, yes, he's saying, drink my cup, serve others, do as I do, but don't think that I have come to get you to do stuff for me. I have come to serve you. In other words, the gospel is not a help wanted sign. We need some servants. The gospel is a help available sign. Acts 17, he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. So listen to me, Trinity Essential. Trinity Essential, you guys, you and I, we are called to be servants. As Christians, we are called to be servants. The activity of our lives should look like serving other people. That's what our lives should look like. And God wants us to serve other people, not just as an example, but he wants, to, he wants his power to move through us. Jesus says, you're not going to be serving me. I'm going to be serving you. So in all of your serving of one another, in all your serving of your city, in all of your serving of the nations, you're not serving me. The call of discipleship is such an impossible life that it takes grace and supernatural power. He has come to serve us. And we need to allow him to serve us. You might remember, if you move on in the scene in, 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 in John 13, uh, Jesus, he comes and he begins to demonstrate what he's talking about here. This is just maybe another few days later. And he begins to wash their feet. And Peter, maybe this is like you, and you're thinking like, Jesus served me, Jesus served me. Never, never, never. This is what Peter said. You can't serve me. <laughs> but Jesus said this, if you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me serve you, you can have no part in me. 
What is the Christian life? The Christian life is not about you giving. The Christian life is about you receiving. If you do not let Jesus serve you, if you don't let him wash your feet, if you don't let him get on his knees and wash your feet, you can have no part in him. We can't do this life without it. John 15 kind of fills this out a bit when it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do not without him, we can do nothing. The call to Christianity is not firstly a call to serve Jesus. It's an invitation to be served by Jesus. The secret to the Christian life, again, is not what you give, it's what you receive. The glory of the branch is that it bears fruit, but it only bears fruit if it is receiving from the vine. Your, your glory will not be, your greatness is not gonna be found in how high you ascend, but your greatness will be found in how low you descend, just like Jesus. It says in Philippians 2, it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the form, even the form of a servant. And because he lowered himself more than anyone, he gets the best name. His greatness was defined by how low he descended, and so will you. But you will only descend, you will only live this life to the degree that you allow Jesus to serve you. So let me ask you, are you trusting him? Are you trusting his leadership? Are you trusting him even in the midst of difficulty to lead you by green pastures and still waters? And like it says in Psalm 23, the, the very end, that, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In the Hebrew, it literally means pursue. It means to chase after. And you and I know this is true of everyone in the, in the world. Every, all of us feel the pursuit of God. But some of us feel like that's a threat, like he's coming to get something from us. When in reality, he's got mercy, he's got goodness, he wants to serve us. And Christians are those who are absolutely transformed by this reality. Paul says that we become new creations, so we get a new heart, but our mind is all messed up. We still think like the world. So he says in Romans 12, like, in light of the grace and mercy of God, in light of the fact that he served you, in light of the fact that he's made you new and whole, present your life as a living sacrifice, a living killing is actually the literal translation. Every day, giving away your life. As, he, as you allow him to serve you, that empowers you to love and serve others and make you great. How far do we take this? What, is this, what does this really mean? Well, it's interesting. Um, if, if you kind of move on in the story, so... The, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're really biographies of the life of Jesus. And, and some of them tell the same story. So I, I, I shared something out of Mark 10, but if you go to, there's a parallel passage that, that fills out the story in Matthew 20. And just after this scene, Jesus is leaving this place and he's on the move. A crowd is following him to go to Jerusalem. And once he gets to Jerusalem, it's, he's got one week and he's, he's gone. He goes to the cross. So in this scene, he is going, he's got something to do. I mean, sometimes, you know, we think about like our life of service is kind of like, well, I've got something important to do. Jesus is heading to the cross. It's pretty important, saving the whole world. Um, and he, as he's going along, these two blind beggars cry out to him on his way to Jerusalem. He, he's only got a week and a half left and he's going to, he's going to die. He knows this. These two 
these two blind beggars cry out and say, son of David, you know, and they begin to say, well, you, you know, we want your help. And what would you do if you were Jesus? I mean, I think for me, like, I, you know, like the crowd, it, it says in uh, verse 31 of Matthew 20, it says the crowd rebuked him. Yeah, that seems normal. I mean, he's got, he's got a big crowd. He's got somewhere to go. Doesn't have long to live, even though he's the only one who knows that. Yeah, that seems good. Like, I, we don't have time for this. In fact, when you think about it, like Jesus healing these people and serving these people, you know, he could have not done it and salvation still would have happened. So why did he do it? But not only that, verse 32, it says that he stopped. That's the other thing. He, he didn't just heal them. He stopped. So he didn't have to stop. He didn't even have to heal them. But he not only healed them, but he stopped. He could have just said, okay, be healed, and then kept going. But he stopped. He took time out, and he paused. And then he asked this question. What do you want me to do for you? Wow. With all that Jesus had to do, with all the pressures facing him, he stopped and he asked, what do you want me to do for you? Now, as we close, I want to encourage you to not firstly put yourself in the position of Jesus, although I know I asked you to do that. I want you to put yourself in the place of those two blind beggars. And you need to hear Jesus more than anything, right here, right now, you need to hear Jesus saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? That's his heart towards you. His heart towards you is he wants to serve you. So right here, what do you need him to do? Do you need him to heal you of depression? Do you need him to heal you of unforgiveness? Do you have a physical need? Do you have a financial need? Do you have an emotional need? Do you have a desire for your neighborhood? What do you want Jesus to do for you? You need to let him serve you or you'll never be empowered to serve the way he's called you to. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you. Whatever it is, you, you, you know, it could be a, a hundred different things. I'm just going to pray for you that, that, that you would allow the God of the universe to get on his knees to wash your feet, to serve you. He wants to serve you. He wants to empower you to live this life of greatness. Lord, we are just humbled. I am humbled by how low you stooped for us. I just pray for my brothers and sisters that you would, that they would feel your kindness, that you're not out to get them, you're out to serve them and love them, to empower them to live a life that we never thought we could live. God, it feels impossible for us to give ourselves away the way you give, gave yourself away. We don't have the strength, we don't have the power, and we're half right. We don't have it in and of ourselves. But through a relationship with you, Lord, it's your desire to live through us. The, the greatness of the Christian life isn't us trying to be like Jesus, but it's that Jesus wants to live in and through us. And we thank you, Jesus, for this. We just humbly want to receive. And I just... Whatever, whatever it is, just let him serve you. Just say, Jesus, heal me, help me, show me, give me wisdom, give me guidance, give me encouragement. Love you guys. It's been great being with you. Thank you for allowing me to participate with you today. God bless you. Can't wait to see you next time.